Father, thank you for this uh, life-changing event. Thank you for the freedom here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We ask for the power of the resurrection to be present here in the speaking and the hearing of your word. We pray for that power to be manifest throughout the world in every church, every community, every home, every heart that lifts up the name of Jesus. Amen. What I want to do for the next 20 minutes or so is I want to read through a passage of scripture. It's actually a big one, John chapter 20, but I'm I'm not going to read it all at once. I'm going to read through parts and just make some comments and ask some questions. Because this morning we celebrate the event that changed everything. And maybe, you know, maybe we've thought about that before. But I I think that God has something to say. God has something new to do. I know that even in the preparation of this message, God was speaking to me about what the power of the resurrection means. It's, It's not just a fun thing to talk about. It's the reality that uh, Jesus has overcome death. I mean, the one thing that could be feared, and Jesus has beat it. So I'm going to start. If you have a Bible or a pad, all the verses won't be up there, just some of the highlights, but you can open to John chapter 20. If you have a Bible or an iPad, John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Wonder who wrote this one? He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. You know, why were the disciples running? Why does Mary jump up? When Mary gives the, the, the response, you know, why do, they, why do the disciples run? Why the foot race to the tomb? Because the disciples had in their mind, it, you know, Jesus is gone. We don't know what was inside their brains. When John gets to the tomb, the scripture says he believed. So in other words, he, something, you know, the, um, the nickel dropped for John. He realized this is just like he said. He's, he's come back from the dead. This changes everything. Another gospel says that Peter saw that Jesus wasn't there and he had this thought process. I wonder what this means. And I just think a lot of people come to the empty tomb of Jesus on a daily basis, come to the empty tomb of Jesus on an, in an Easter service, reading through the scripture, and they have those conflicting thoughts. Some look and they, and they believe. And then there are the skeptics. There are the doubters. 
like Peter. I wonder what this means. And the scripture says that uh, Mary clung to Jesus. Verse 11, John chapter 20. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. So, Mary doesn't realize who Jesus is until he says her name. You know, and, and that is the reality this morning that Jesus is saying our name. It's hard to believe, but the Bible tells us that before we were born, before there was a thought about us, J- Jesus spoke our name. Before any day in our life was done or accomplished, it was written in God's book of life. He knew it. He knew everyone. So Jesus himself has called your name. And some of you have a relationship with Jesus. You remember the day. In fact, when I said life-changing moment, you thought, oh, it's the day Jesus called my name. And some of us heard that a long time ago and haven't been listening since. And today, Jesus is calling your name again. And some of us here this morning and some of the people that we love have never heard clearly Jesus calling your name. When Jesus called Mary's name, she looked at him and she realized the reality that everything changes from this. Her, her tears of weeping go to tears of joy. Why? Because Mary had seen the one that had amazed her be beaten. Mary saw the one that she trusted betrayed. She saw the one that she loved go through mocking. She saw the one that for her, in Mary's view, who made life full of meaning, and she watched him die a death that seemed meaningless. Mary watched Jesus die and saw all of her hope extinguished. And then Jesus says, Mary... And she, and she realizes this changes everything. Hope is not extinguished. It now lives eternal. And, and that's the message I want to highlight this morning. That when Jesus calls your name, whether it was 50 years ago or this morning right now, hope is not extinguished. It becomes eternal. The hope of Jesus is given to you because Jesus is calling your name. I... Just for a second, I don't want to focus on the devil, but he's real. But just for a second, look at this whole thing from the devil's perspective. Right? So there's Satan. He has uh, 
brought people into sin through temptation. He's kept people in their sin for thousands of years. He's been winning the war against believers in God by luring them and tempting them and condemning and accusing them. And Satan has got to think, you know, it's looking good right now. The one who says he's going to redeem the world was mocked and was spit upon. He was killed. He was murdered. I mean, Satan might even have thought, he hardly even put up a fight. And so the enemy's thinking, you know, I've got... I've got this one beaten. I've got him. You remember in uh, Luke 24, there are two men after the crucifixion and they're walking to Emmaus and they're discussing like what has happened. And uh, very specifically, you have that verse? Very specifically, um, they're talking about Jesus. This is what they're saying. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But this is what's going on in their minds. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So they watched the crucifixion and they're walking away from it thinking, you know, we put our hope in a fake. We thought that this was real. We had hoped this would be the one that would redeem Israel. Translation to 21st century, we really thought this was the one who was going to make all the wrong things right. We, we thought this would be the one that would bring truth, truth and justice. Like we saw his power. We saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. But now he's dead. And that means power is gone. And Satan probably thought he had it won. But then, in the breaking of the bread, Jesus with these two disciples says he broke the bread and they looked at him and they realized this is him. He's, he's, he's come back from the dead. And so for those disciples on the way to Emmaus, everything changes again. In the simple act of breaking bread, they look and they realize it was the broken body of Christ and now it's restored and he's speaking eternal hope changes everything because Jesus is risen means that hope for humanity lives it means that literally any battle in our lives no matter how difficult and I don't say that tritely because I know a lot of people in this room any battle in our lives though it's a struggle at this time is not a final victory for the enemy the victory has been won. When, when Jesus just breaks the bread and looks at the disciples, when Jesus calls Mary's name, when Jesus breaks forth from the tomb, it means that all the struggles of our life will one day be redeemed. It means that power and hope is available for us today. If Jesus is alive for the devil, this changes everything. He realizes at this point, I don't know, what did he say? Oh darn. <laughs> I mean, he's doomed. If Jesus is alive, then heaven invaded earth. If Jesus is alive, then not only are our sins, those things that keep us away from God, not only are they paid for, but there's a power for right living that's given to people. It means that we as believers and soon-to-be believers, seekers, 
who encounter Jesus even today actually have the power of God to live out holy living. To actually live righteously. To actually live lives that look like the life of Jesus. Which I hope you'll see some in this NBC series. is not just all, you know, this kind of life. It's joy. It's righteousness. It's peace. It's exuberance. It's power. It's influence. Not influence that grasps and controls, but influence that affects for the good, that brings transforming love. Even for God, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Even for God, everything changed at this moment. 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says this, All this, all this work, this making new creations, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. When Jesus was on the cross, we see agony, God sees redemption. Every single sin, every stray thought, Every errant act, every injustice, every tragedy in our lives, past, present, or to come, is, is, was redeemed on that cross. And the Word of God says that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Do you realize the change, even in God's perspective, when Jesus rose from the dead? I think he knew it was coming. But still, there's a change wrought in heaven at that point. And God now looks at man differently. He looks at people after the resurrection. He says, you know what? I don't have to hold that sin against you anymore. Because that sin was paid for. I remember, I won't go into the dirty details of my life, but I can remember specific times when my personal sin was just you know, flagrant shown before me. Do you know those feelings where you just, the shame and the condemnation, you realize, I can't get out of this one. Like, I, I did it. That's who I am. And I feel the pain of who I am. And I can remember the moments of forgiveness when I realized that Jesus paid for those sins. Jesus paid for that realization, that reality in my life. That, that that's what God was doing, reconciling man to God and no longer holding their sins against them. That's why the Bible says that we've been given the ministry of reconcil- reconciliation. My, my strong belief is that the world has heard enough condemnation. They've heard enough condemnation from the devil themselves. They've heard enough condemnation from the church too. So this is the ministry that we get, not the ministry of condemnation, That's the devil's ministry, right? We get the ministry of reconciliation. We get to go up to Steve and say, guess what? God's not holding your sins against you anymore. That's really good news. We get to lead people into freedom because we're walking in freedom. And so all of a sudden, preaching the good news of the gospel is not the the burden of convincing people it's like the, the, the man who helped lead me to Christ said, you know, sharing the gospel is just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Except when we receive the good news of Jesus, we're no longer beggars. 
We're seated in the heavenlies. We become sons and daughters of the living God. So if Jesus has been raised, then death's power has been broken. Um, can I tell a joke? <laughs> now you're, you, you have to laugh, right? It's a great line in one of the last Pink Panther movies, okay? The one Steve Martin does. And, you know, he, come, he comes up to a murder scene. And the, the, the other guy says to Clouseau, you know, he, he, was, he was killed. He was shot and he was killed. And Clouseau's famous question, was it fatal? <laughs> Dead. It was fatal. Right. <clears throat> Just going to scratch that one for the second service. <laughs> My point is this. <laughs> he gave me a seven. <laughs> All of a sudden, death is fatal, but it's not final. I mean, that's what the resurrection means. De death is fatal. We're all going to die. I mean, actually, uh, these physical lives are going to be taken away. But it's not the final act. We actually don't have to fear death anymore. I'm not saying we should embrace it and love it. The enemy brought death. Right? But we don't have to fear it, because though it's fatal, it's not final. And that's what gives us the power as believers to live joyfully and righteously and powerfully and humbly because we have someone who took death for us so that death, though fatal, isn't final. And we get to look forward to eternal life. That's the gift that we give away when we tell people about what Jesus did. Not look at the great way I figured out how to live my life, but look, there's one who took my sin and yours died for you, beat sin, rose from the dead, and would give you, if you ask, power for living, now and forever. So even for God, it changes everything. John chapter 20, verse 19. <clears throat> On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. When Jesus rose from the dead and then he, he walks through the wall or manifests himself, however he did that, why can Jesus say to the fearful disciples, peace? Because the resurrection changed everything. All of a sudden, fear isn't their master anymore because their master just conquered death and is standing in the room. And their master says, in Aramaic, he would have said, shalom. Peace. And they would have heard this from Jesus. What? Perfect integrity? That's what peace means. Wait, wholeness? Wait, restoration and healing to my body, to my soul, to my spirit? Peace. Wait, you mean the possibility of reconciled relationships? Do you mean the power of, the, of God in my life flowing through me to bring healing and restoration? To give me grace to forgive the unforgivable? And Jesus says, yes, all of that in one word. Peace be to you. Because with the resurrection, Jesus changed everything. 
Imagine what Peter is thinking right there. Jesus walks in and he says, Peace. It was Peter, the one, you know, when the, when the earthquake came. Peter, the one that denied Jesus. Less than 24 hours before, Peter had said, If everyone else falls away, I will never deny you. And Jesus, probably, you know, choking up in tears, says, Peter, you're, you're going to do it too. When, when it counted most, Peter failed. He denied believing and following Jesus. He denied even knowing Jesus. Peter's failure was complete. We won't go around and give testimonies of failure, right? But have you at some point in your life experienced what you feel like utter failure? Maybe you're going through it now. Maybe it's a failure that actually nobody else knows about, but you know it yourself. Imagine Peter's feelings there. Like, the Son of God is here standing before me. He beat death. I denied him. And he looks into my eyes and he says, Peace. Yes, peace. <laughs> With Jesus alive, it changes everything. It means this, that failure isn't final either. Failure isn't final either. It means that whatever failure maybe is holding you back right now, from pursuing what God's called you to, whatever failure from your past you think somehow defines you. I mean, if anyone would be tempted to be defined by his failure, Peter, who denied God, and then they wrote it in the Bible, and now they're making movies about it, right? <laughs> but because Jesus rose from the dead, failure isn't final. It means that the power of Jesus is, is, is given to us to overcome failure. And guess what? I don't think that it always looks so like glorious, like we just, we fail and then all of a sudden one day we stand up and say, I will never be sad again. No, I think it's the path of humility. I think it's the path that Jesus went to the cross that allows us to see the power of God manifested in the resurrection. There's, there's nothing like failure to humble you and help you realize I can't do this on my own. And there's nothing like a resurrection to change your life. <laughs> Bill Johnson tells a story about an African pastor who was dead. They prayed for him and he was brought back to life. And his testimony is this. When, when I was brought back from the dead, it really changed my life. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's, that's what we walk around in. And I guess I, I just wa I want to yell it this morning. What we walk around in is the reality that we were dead. Because Jesus conquered death, we died with him. We, we, we're, we're, we've risen with Christ in newness of life. And we walk around and we tell people that failure isn't final. We don't need to fear death. John 20, 28 and following. Now, Thomas... Also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, <clears throat> was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into this, his side, I will not believe. Thomas, patron saint of cynics. A week later, do you ever realize that? 
Thomas goes for a week and is doubting while all of the other disciples are dancing around, you know, singing Easter songs. And Thomas, I mean, what is it? I mean, just think of what he felt like. But I want it to be true. I want it to be true, but I didn't see it. He didn't show himself to me. And we want to condemn Thomas. I think not so fast. Thomas, his doubt and his faith are preserved in Scripture for us, especially the cynics among us. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he says the same words again, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here in my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. The resurrection of Jesus means that even for those of us who are doubters, we can come to Jesus and say, show yourself to me. I mean, he can take any attitude from us. We want to condemn Thomas as an unbeliever. No, he was a not yet believer. He wasn't an unbeliever. He just needed a little bit more. How many of you feel like sometimes I just need a little bit more? I, I think the story of Thomas gives us the freedom to say to Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Now, I challenge you, if you're a seeker this morning, maybe you're a doubter or a cynic, maybe you know the Lord, but actually the whole thing's called into question again for you. You got to college and you're thinking, man, I got to think through this again. <coughs> And I I challenge you, go to God and say, God, reveal yourself to me this week. Thomas, for a week, waited for that. Will you give God a week to show himself to you? I mean, I don't, I got nothing to lose, right? You're going to talk to God and God's going to reveal himself to you. Because Jesus changed everything, even for doubters and cynics, when he rose from the dead. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, literally nothing is impossible with God. Just run through your life and think about what has happened, what you're in the midst of, what you want to happen. Because Jesus came back from the dead. It means nothing is impossible with God. It doesn't mean you get everything you want. It means that as you align yourself with God and His purposes, that even those things that God calls you to, and you know it, and you think it can't possibly be done in the flesh, God says it can be done with the Spirit. Jesus says to the disciples, peace. And then He says, now, the same way that the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Nothing's impossible with God in our lives because He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're not just human spirits walking around anymore with our own power. We've been divinely endowed with power from on high and we literally carry the presence of God into the world. And so the ancient cry of the church on Easter morning, Alleluia! Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. It's the central tenet of our faith. The resurrection. The one action, the one event that changes everything. Very last three verses of John chapter 20. 
Jesus is speaking to Thomas. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It means the chosen one. The Messiah, the one that God anointed, gave his special blessing to be the one that redeems all men and women from their sin. And that believing in him, you would have life through his name. But if there is anything that I would give you on an Easter morning, it is the invitation to turn from doubt or seeking to believing. As God, what, what God is doing right now, what he did on the cross, he was reconciling uh, men and women to God, not holding their sins against them. And so the Easter invitation today and every Easter and every day that Jesus reigns until he comes back again is the words of Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So I invite you, if this day you realize I've never given my life to Jesus, I've never believed in him, and as a result I'm living my own life without God, but not God's life in me. I'm living a life that will end in death, but I want to live a life that begins eternally when Jesus comes to take me home. If that's the cry of your heart, I'm going to pray this morning. I'm going to pray a prayer of invitation. And in your own heart, you're welcome to pray along with me and ask that Jesus would come into your life, would forgive your sin, would beat the failures, would empower you for righteous living, and bring hope again. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, everything is changed. Jesus, I invite now you to come into my life. I invite you to come in and cleanse my sin. I invite you, Jesus, to come in and change everything in my life. I invite you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you now, Jesus, to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I ask you to send me into the world to bear the presence of God, the life-changing power and love of Jesus to everyone that I meet. And if you were able to pray that prayer with your own words, with a heart of faith, then what has happened to you is you've become a child of God. The living Christ has come to live within you the Holy Spirit now resides within you and you have a new power. You have a power to live righteously and you have a new reason for rejoicing because hope for you is now eternal. 
God, bless us now as we remember what you did for us and how you beat death. And we ask that you'd send us into the world with the power and the joy of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.